My people, welcome back. You're listening to Rooted Souls. Today's episode is Primitive Skills and Indigenous Wisdom, Ancient Practices for a Meaningful Life. And with me here today, I have Salvatore Jen Corelli. Sal is the founder and director of the Helpers Mentoring Society, an international organization dedicated to supporting the revitalization of humanity's relationship with hope and purpose so that all life thrives. He has been a nature-based mentor for 30 years and has an expert knowledge and experience in both ancient indigenous and modern therapies. We met in 2010 or 2011 at a workshop called The Art of Mentoring. And The Art of Mentoring was run by John Young, And it was um, an offering for people to step into a different way of being, uh, different than our modern systems that are not working for humanity. And so Sal and I are here today to talk about why it's not working and what can work for us. So welcome, Sal. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, thank you, Rebecca. It's good to be here and it's good to see you again, meet you again after so many years. And I'm just so grateful for the presence that you had in my life back then and have been, you know, in the ethers around since. And here we meet over a decade later and still your presence is so profound for me. And I'm really excited to share your wisdom and knowledge and experience with our listeners, because I think that you have tools that are changing the world and can really change people's lives so that they feel more human again. Yeah, you know, it's it's really the, the the mission is ultimately that, you know, how to be a better human being. And it's it has profound effect on all these different, you know, topics that we can discuss around the societies and the systems that are in place. But but you know, like the essence of it is is like how do we live in health and happiness? How are, can we be good people in relationship to nature, each other, ourselves, you know, in the future generations? And, you know be a human being, a good person. So um, it's simple things, but very profound as well. And sometimes it is the most simple that has the biggest impact on us. And it's easy to leave these things out. And sometimes we just need a little bit of mentorship to add them back in. Um, Can you share a little bit about your lineage and the teachings that you hold? And then, you know, what are some um, practices that you guide people to go through and what impacts they have on us in our lives? Yeah. So my, my kind of like formal initiation into lineage happened when I was uh, in my uh, 15th year. So into my 16th year, I actually became an apprentice to a Native American healer uh, out of the Lakota Sioux tribe and uh, part of what we call the Wulptica lineage. So this family line of medicine people that go back for generations, at least seven that they know of, and then um, probably much further back than that, you know, their oral history and stories, um, the medicine traditions of their family line, but also the, their people go back, you know, to many of uh, many places, many times, you know, far back in the past. So I started to work and live with them when I was uh, 17 into 18. And then I worked with them directly for about 28 years. Um, and I still actually do to this day, but um, my mentor passed away. Um, and so it was about 28 years of direct learning and teaching with this individual. And, um, you know, what I learned was some very, very deep and important wisdoms. And that's 
really what I was seeking. You know, when I first started this journey, when I was 15, I had this question of like, how can people live with the earth into the future? Uh, because even back then I recognized like the, the probable future that we're living into is not going to be healthy. It's not going to be good. We have um, a lot of problems and there's a lot of disconnect between people and uh, the earth. And it was having obviously great effect upon the earth. So instead of losing hope or kind of being depressed or upset, I was like, you know, something has to be done. There's got to be a way to do this. And, and that was what I kind of called out to the universe, what we call prayer. I said, I need help to understand this. And in a very short amount of time, um, this medicine lineage came into my life. And when I, when I witnessed the power of this lineage, which was miraculous to say the least, you know, it was so outside my expectations of what was possible at the time. I was like, this must be the answer to my prayer because I witnessed, literally I witnessed someone who was um, virtually on their deathbed be revitalized within a few hours of ceremony. And, you know, it wasn't something where it was like a magic trick or I, hadn't, I had, didn't know this person who was sick. I'd seen this person, I witnessed this person, and there was a bunch of other people who also knew this person for many years and watch, was watching her decline from this illness that seemed to be incurable, and she was cured. So um, anyways, it, it basically put me on this path of learning these, these tools and these techniques. And um, I learned about ceremony, ultimately, but it was ceremony that is in support of culture. And the ceremonial practices of purification, the ceremonial practices of healing, of transformation, of how to be in relationship to the natural world and be supportive to the natural world, kind of stepping into our, um, you know, original instructions, if you will, as people that are connected to the earth and that are part of the earth system. And I learned about how to be in communication with, um, you know, the unseen components of life, you know, we'll call them spirit, spiritual you know, this, this relationship that we all innately have to some form of, you know, universal consciousness. And so those are what I still teach and what I still work with, actually. And over the years, I've incorporated other techniques and other lineages and other wisdom traditions from around the world, you know, and many indigenous peoples, obviously, who have lived, um, you know, in a, in a supportive way on their land, on their, at their location, have philosophies and understandings of how to do that, that I actually have personally found very, very instructional to all of, all of humanity. It's not just that for those people over there, or that person over, over in that region, it's really the principle is, is universal and it's humanistic. So um, you could say like the main focus is this Lakota Sioux, Wolpdika uh, lineage, you know, lineage, that's, that's where it really comes from in a big way. But um, the universal kind of perspectives from many different lineages have been tied into these teachings, which, you know, has really just made it more accessible and more explainable. Thank God. So that's yeah, my when, background. When you say um, more explainable, you and I were chatting earlier about the difference between mentorship and nature mentorship and traditional uh, education. And there's this aspect of learning by doing, and then your mentors let you know when you've done it right, or it's clear to you when you've done it right, instead of telling you exactly how to do it, letting you stumble, letting you fall, letting yeah. you evolve and transform through trial and error. And that was what the art of mentoring held most, right? And um, you and I both met there and you had 
this history of learning by doing and not having language for it or not having this more analytical uh, verbal explanation of it until you met John Young. And so now that you've got both, which is so rich, what aspects of it are, are most helpful in revitalizing society? What are we missing? And what are these components that really change everyone? Yeah, so the 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 words, the languaging, it's it's always um it's tricky business, you know, and this is one of those wisdom teachings from the Bushman people of, of the South Africa, right? They they say the the tricksters in in the words. And so the language in the words that we use to explain these things, it's it's really an interesting thing um, when you recognize just how tricky it all is. And especially with English, I find because English is such an amb ambiguous language, you know we can use the same words in so many different ways and they have different meanings to different people. So um, working with this language to explain things has been really an evolution. And I think it's really, really helpful um, to have multiple different ways to look at and explain these concepts because they're so um, like subcognitive in actuality, like they're spiritual, right? And not as an idea of like, oh, spirituality is like, makes me feel good. No, spirituality or spirit is really a consciousness in itself within our beings. And so the way we look at it, you know, for example, here's an explanation that we actually have four unique and separate consciousnesses that make up our entire be beings. And actually there's many others, but it's easy to divide them into four. So we have our intellect or our mind, we have our emotional or our heart-centered consciousness. We have our bodies, of course, and then we have our spirits and each one of those has a different way of understanding the world and the experiences we're having. So the, the, the real spiritual knowledge is not of the mind. You know, the mind has to grasp it to some degree, but having the words and the language to explain it helps the mind to kind of agree to it ultimately. You know, it's kind of like when you hear the words and then you hear the right explanation, your mind says, yeah, yeah, I could see that or I could perceive that or I agree with that. Your spirit, though, your spirit basically knows and the spirit tends to um, express itself more through the intuitive. So kind of the spiritual body connection so that, you know, as we call it, the kachunk moment, you know, that settling that's yes, yes, this affirmation, this, you know, this intuitive, you know, affirmation or yes right so the spirit knows a whole bunch of things and the mind needs to understand it so anyways what i'm saying is that with kind of the explanation um helping people to grasp it in their minds in this day and age actually has been really really important because most people are trained to use their mind to try to think about things before all else you know and it's prioritizing it actually it actually kind of sets everybody um, out of balance because the mind is like the dominating consciousness over all the rest of the system, which is not actually healthy. It's not balanced. So getting the mind to basically agree, it needs to let go of control and let go of, of just being dominating of the other four or three parts of self is like one of those instrumental pieces that we actually use quite a bit. And unfortunately, the way that that might sound to some people is like, 
it's like, well, I'm letting go of my mind so somebody else can be in control. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if your mind's dominating your body, your heart and your spirit, your body, heart and spirit, then you're not a full, you know, unified human being. You know, it's kind of like you're actually in an abusive relationship within self. It's a hierarchical system within self. And it's actually then if you think about like the inner world expressing itself into the outer world, that same abusive system we witness around us all the time. And, you know, and, and we get mad about it. You know, we get mad about social injustice. We get mad about, you know, a, abuse to nature, abuse to, you know, a, a certain demographic, but within us, we're totally doing that to ourselves. Absolutely. So it's not about somebody else doing that to you. It's about you doing that to yourself and then coming into balance. So, you know, we'll do all sorts of techniques to help with that, you know, and there's different purification rituals and ceremonies that help people to actually learn how to step outside the framework of just the mind dominating everything, get into their heart, get into their emotions, get into their bodies, get into the, ultimately that spiritual consciousness. So that's a, a little snap of what I can say around what you're, you're asking. Yeah. And I have an episode on the power of ceremony and ritual. And I share in that episode that it's not necessarily that you are changing the ethers or asking God to bless you, but you change in ceremony mm -hmm. because you believe, and there is this lack of interconnectedness and integration with our four systems. I love how you describe that. So getting those aligned ceremony is one of those pieces. And even just that learning by doing right. We're letting, obviously our brains are still activated, but we're in our body. We're in our, uh, our animal experience when we're going through trial and error. And, um, what I'd love to talk more about today is, um, ceremonies and, and sacred fire and, and rites of passage and medicine wheels and mentorship, right? Intergenerational relationships. These are all aspects that are missing in most modern culture. And when they are in place, life is so different. Absolutely. Well, this is the thing is when I went into this experience and, you know, I was initiated in these medicine traditions there, what you could say is they have the cultural framework and they have the ceremonial framework still in, in place. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the entirety of what it used to be um, because they've already, you know, as a, as a family group and as a, as a, a whole culture, they face genocide, you know, like they've, they've gone through all sorts of extermination and reduction processes, you know, um, some really tragic and horrible ones, as we know, but they were able to hold on to enough of it where they could pass it on and it could continue. And, um, you know, they knew the reason why they did that was because this is how life works. This is actually how it works. And, you know, some people say, well, there's like many, many paths to life or many ways. And I've actually come to find that there's actually really one way. And it's not to say that all, all paths don't have aspects of it or all paths don't have expressions of how, um, you know, to potentially be in relationship to life. But, you know, to be in relationship to life is really one way of being and it is the only way that's sustainable in the world and it's through essentially connection that that takes place through developing connection to oneself with nature 
and with other people and ultimately with, I would say, spirit, you know, this unseen aspects of life. So, um, you know, having that experience of going into a, a system of education, a system of, of relationship and learning that um, in, reinforced, you know, the development of, of connectedness within and develop the connectedness to others and nature and spirit uh, was really, really profound. So taking all that out of, of that experience, you know, where now it's like through Zoom calls or through webinars, then it's like, how do we bring people into that? And ceremonies, um, really the way that that's done in the, in the most embodied form, you know, where it can activate um, these, these different relationships within the person in a healthy way. Um, and then that that gets into so many like lessons and teachings and understandings that become um, basically a new framework to how to understand life, how to understand how to be in this world. And as you said at the beginning, you know, like it's not so much about the external, like somehow like the external giving you what you want. It's actually about you becoming what you're desiring in the world, you know, so health like i said at the beginning health and happiness to be a human being like you become what you're seeking um and we have some wonderful kind of teachings that are, are presented through um what we call sacred songs now but you know these lineage songs were at the essence of one of these particular songs is it says if you do if you do it this way what you want will be so right so if you're asking for something what you want will be so but they said the more traditional and the deeper understanding translation of that song and in that statement is what you want, you will be so, right? Mm. So it's like what you want, if you truly want something, then what you're actually asking for is that you become that thing that you're, you're seeking. And that's how, that, that's just one example of how this works and really how life works. So many of these antidotes and ancestral teachings and um, just metaphors, they're consistent across the globe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I tried to wrap my head around religion when I was younger, because it doesn't make sense to me, it was like, well, they're all basically trying to say the same thing, just they've got different details. And, you know, when I would try to explain spirituality to people that didn't believe in spirituality or magic to people who didn't believe in magic, I'm, I say like, well, you don't have to explain exactly, you know, what something is with words, but the outcome's the same, right? Or like the silliness of law of attraction. It's like you become it and it, it happens. It might not be that you wrote it down and that's what created it. But the, in essence, these are universal truths and universal laws. And um, my last episode was with Kazu Haga and um, I had met him shortly after you. He is a social justice advocate and I did some nonviolent trainings with him and he's still steeped in this work. And finally, um, you know, watching songs come into social activist spaces and um, people starting to do their own personal development work. And the reason I reached out to him for an episode is that I've noticed in the new age spirituality communities, there isn't so much community focus. It's all about how do I get happier? How do I manifest what I want? And they're missing the community aspect. And so what we chatted about is it, it's not 
one or the other. It has to be all of it. And what I love about what you're sharing is it's all of it. It's how do we advocate for the environment? How do we advocate for all people? How do we get connected to it all? And the catalyst is really becoming who we really are and being mm-hmm. able to orient and contribute to all of it, be part of all of it. And I think that without nature, how do we do that? Without mm-hmm. mentors, how do we really do that? We're missing pieces because we're trying to do it on our own in a, a universe where we are all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this this kind of gets into this this ultimate kind of issue that humanity is um, facing. You know, this is kind of, as we would understand, many traditional people call it or, or identify it as um, in some fashions, the de- disconnection sickness, right? So that if you, bre- if you break all of the problems down, whether it's environmental, um, you know, societal, individual, like it all comes down to a disconnection and, and really, uh, there's a this great elder. Uh, he's an ancestor now. He uh, passed away in April, but he'd say um, the two issues humanity has is that first and foremost, human beings are disconnected from the earth, or you could say disconnected from nature. Yeah? And there's these seem like really simple statements, but when you start pulling back the layers, you find they're incredibly deep. You know, what does it actually mean to be in relationship to nature? What's that actually look like, you know, and that's where things like, like um, the primitive skills, you know, the, the uh, indigenous wisdoms, the ancestral connections, that's where it comes into play. It's like, this is actually how that looks, you know, it's not, it's not just like, oh, I love nature and I like to go for hikes, you know, or, or, you know, I go skiing every year. That's, that's my nature connection. No, like really to no place and not to no place, but essentially to be like in love with place, like to be in love with the animals, the plants, the, the, the soil, the sky, you know, each environment's so different. And it's like, you get um, a deeper sense of your identity of self through your relationship to nature. So that first, you know, that first kind of statement of humanity, human beings, modern people, let's say in a sense, are disconnected from nature. The second problem that human beings have are that they're disconnected from themselves so in these the the problem the second problem arises from the first problem right so the disconnection of self is only possible because we're disconnected from nature so the connection to nature actually as we would understand it is one of those core levels of dealing with the disconnection sickness so when people know that they are part of the earth system, when this feels like it's actually home and it's actually where you belong and actually not only that you belong, but you are of value and that you are like um, appreciated and loved in the natural space, in the natural world, then there is such a level of connection of identity that takes place that just basically makes you a better human being and more of who you are supposed to be. You know, people, like I was sharing this recently in one of our webinars, like people, we need mirrors to reflect who we are. You know, we think about it now, like a mirror, well, mirrors are all around us, right? We, we get our reflection all the time. We can see ourselves and, 
you know, like Adonis, we kind of get obsessed with the superficial, right? We go, how do I look today? Like, uh, you know, what do I need to do to look better? Well, in the past, there weren't that many mirrors, right? You think about indigenous people on the land, you might get to see a reflection every now and then, like in a clear pool of water or something like that. But really, you don't get to see yourself. The only way you get to see yourself is by the reflection that other things offer you, mm. right? So that's not just people because people, you know, obviously people can reflect many wonderful and good things about us, right? And that can really be enforced and reinforcing to kind of a, a, um, a positive self-image, right? But there's, you know, especially in the disconnected world and the disconnection sickness, there's a lot of judgment. There is a lot of reflection of like negativity that we get hit with where nature doesn't have that you know, the natural world, a plant does not judge you, right, by the negativity that maybe a person might see about you and really about themselves that they project upon you. So in nature, you get all these kind of mirrors of reflection that happen through these relationships that is really nourishing to your being, you know, and, and here in South Dakota, so that's where I live currently, we have a small kind of uh, really a hobby ranch for this area, um, we raise bison, you know, so the American uh, buffalo or the American bison. And um, almost every day we interact with them, feed them, you know, give, make sure they have water and whatnot. And um, if you ever get a chance to get witnessed, you know, to get perceived by a large animal like that, you know, with these big, dark eyes, like, and they're not just like, oh, you know, a human being, I'm scared or something. They're like really looking deep within you. And to feel the reflection that they're like giving you, the mirror that they're providing for you, it's so amazing. It's like it's like love itself, and it's respect, and it's also, um, you know, the the acknowledgement of of hu human beings and who they are, like um, with our frailties, with our weaknesses, with our lacks, you know. But it's like still the love and 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 the appreciation and the connection that 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 kind of pure reflection can give us so nature nature is essential to having a healthy identity in this really potent way so that's yeah that's what i can say about why we have to have nature connection really yeah and beautiful descriptions too i can imagine stand i've seen buffalo out in northampton um mm -hmm. or amherst I have never stood very close to one. I can imagine it feels a little bit like a dinosaur, which it, would get you and your animal body pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, and having those experiences where you're just so aware of your body is healing. And I think, you yeah. know, part of being out in nature and exploring like a kid and really getting lost in the woods and bone off and it gets you into your body and that often gets you more connected to yourself. So I see the connection completely. And then there's these pieces of being disconnected from others, right? We are raised in a way where we're with kids all our own age, if we're in a traditional school, and there really isn't much interaction with elders unless you have living grandparents. And we aren't having these real rites of passage. Maybe, you know, if you get your period, it may or may not be talked about. If you're a Jew, you may or may not have your bar or bat mitzvah, or I don't know what age christening is, but there is no whole lot of this rite of passage. And, you know, even just if people choose to go to college and graduate, and then all of a sudden they're freaking adults and there is no talk about how the, what the difference is. There's just all these 
you know, being shoved off cliffs, I think in our society, and there's no real integration or acknowledgement of that. And so rites of passage, you know, creates a cohesiveness and then an awareness of self. And what I loved what you shared earlier about being perceived as accepted, that you're part of it, that you are appreciated. Yeah. And, and the appreciation nature has for us, you know, is really, again, kind of the, a core thing, because then we identify ourselves as even a species, not just as an individual, like, what are we supposed to do here? But then we have the collection of people, right? We have our species or, we, you know, we could think of that universally, but really bring it down to, um, you know, your local group, your local, hopefully tribe, village, community, whatever name you have for it. Ideally, ideally, you know, this is um, a group of people that acknowledge what life is about, you know, and, and so in this modern world, we can say, well, what is, what is society? Because we can't even really call it culture if we identify culture as that which supports us in connection to ourselves, nature, and others. Then we don't actually have a culture anymore. We have, you know, as John would say, a postmodern society, you know, and I, I actually think of it more like a PTSD society. We're living in post-traumatic stress almost constantly, like, like trauma and stress has been normalized into like, that's just how this society is. It has. So, yeah, we, we can't say that we actually have a collection of people who are dedicated to bringing about connectedness for others and themselves. You know, the, like you said, the processes is just push you off the cliff no explanation, no, no meaningfulness behind anything except for make money, you know, enjoy life and, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully like stay young and then, and then die quick. Right. You know, something like that is like, well, what's, what's that framework of meaning that that's, that's providing? Well, it's, there's not much there. It's superficial. It's shallow. And then you look at, again, the indigenous cultures, and this is, again, a universal pr principle. This isn't just like the, the medicine lineages or something like that. They see culture connection as the priority, right? So essentially your development as a human being is uh, a part of my develop development as a human being. So it's like you said, you know, like the, the society can't heal if the individual doesn't heal and the individual doesn't heal the society can't heal there's no separating those two things actually so this is you know in this modern age what a lot of the healers are working on is like what we call cultural repair we're not just doing individual healings we're actually working to like figure out how can we fix us as a collective in regards to actually bringing about a renewal of culture a renewal a renewal of the priority of connection into everybody's lives so rites of passage, you know, and these types of things as held by elders, as held by mentors, as held by your peers, as held even by, you know, the, the youth that is coming up into that, it helps support your development in connection through the life stages. So, you know, who you were as an infant, who you were as a child, and obviously who you are as an adult is vastly different. You know, that the transitional points aren't always black and white, you know, in some cases more like, the moon time, you know, that is an obvious transitional point for the a woman going from, you know, the the the, the youth into you know some sort of womanhood state. Um, so these these markers are like important, but they're not always as clear. Like where where do you stop being a child and when do you start being an adult? And what does that actually mean? And how do we honor and respect that? And I would really say like 
give an opportunity to grieve it, to grieve the transition, like what was into what is. In our society too, as, as it is, we are horrible at actually acknowledging grief and working with grief. But of course, a post-traumatic stress society would not be very good at something that it doesn't even acknowledge as kind of a real thing in a collective state. So the, the rites of passage like that, you know, they're really important to actually help build meaningfulness in an individual's lives that essentially build the connectedness in the individual, which essentially builds it into the community, which when it really is in operation, um, I love I love the Blackfeet uh, Indian tribes um, kind of uh, understanding of it. There's actually diagrams of it. And it said that Maslow, Abraham Maslow, you know, most people know Maslow's hierarchy of need, basically took that that model from the Blackfeet Indian tribe and then turned it into his hierarchy of need. But, you know, at the top of Maslow's hierarchy is self-actualization. You know, it's the, the pinnacle of the pyramid. Um, for the Blackfeet, they said it wasn't a pyramid, it was a teepee. And they said self-actualization is actually the bottom of the, the teepee. And then, it, and then, you know, like an individual actualizing into being a human being, as we, we sometimes calling it, being your true connective self is, the, is, is like the, the beginning of actually what the goal is. The next goal, so the next tier up on the Blackfeet model is communal actualization. So everybody in the community is supposed to be actualized, not just the gifted few or the special ones or, you know, you know the, uh, the, the elite or something like that. Everybody has to be actualized in connection, but, well, to nature, to themselves and to each other. And then what you get on the top of the pyramid is what they call cultural perpetuity, that the, the ways that human beings in the collective group actually come together in this connected way is forever. You know, that these are the ways that we live and this is the ways that we live indefinitely into the future. You know, barring some, you know, asteroid falling from the sky or something like that, that could drastically change things. As long as we're alive, we know this is a priority. So the whole culture is built around that as compared to this kind of meaningless, superficial existence that our society prioritizes. So that's, that's the difference. So can you talk a little bit about how we can implement these things that work back into our lives? Yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of different techniques to kind of build in connection in, in many different ways. You know, we have this course called the helper's journey and it focuses a little bit more for the individual and kind of like self-identifying, right. In, in building this, what, you know, we put it into kind of spiritual terms, building the altar of self and really activating the altar of self. So self-actualization again, but it's, it's like in relationship to nature, in relationship to spirit. And, and humanity, people, um, and um, really getting to the place where we can embrace the commitment to living and the commitment to being of service to life. Um, and what that also means is the commitment to healing, right? So where, where I like to model this on is the medicine wheel, right? So the medicine wheel is the circle that's divided typically into four, sometimes into six, sometimes into eight. Um, as you know, like the eight shields model, uh, we were talking about the, the art of mentoring, the eight shields 
um, event is actually built around the eight directional medicine wheel. So this, this model is really just that. It's a, it's a model of understanding and kind of organizing principles of life. So the circle divided into four is the very simplest. And, and that has so many different meanings, but how it could be applied to an individual to understand what, what's the priorities? What do you need to work on here? Well, you need to orientate yourself in space, you know? So that's kind of the first thing, like it's a directional model. And obviously we at any given time are in a three-dimensional space, as long as we have our bodies, that means that there's gotta be a West, a North, a East and a South. There's an up and a down around us. And just paying attention to something as simple as that and knowing what direction perhaps you're facing right now or you're driving or where, whatever you're doing is really like, supportive and actually creating a sense of orientation and we think like we could talk about that more you know intellectually or emotionally or even spiritually like oh i need to orient i'm i'm kind of confused i'm lost i'm dizzy we use this terminology and i don't think that it that terminology is actually kind of haphazard or random it is actually describing something that we are not actually orientated you know, and yes, maybe you sense it on an emotional or physical level or, or, or excuse me, emotional or spiritual level, but it really, to get that orientation, you know, and to activate that orientation, then, then pay attention to it physically. So it's kind of where these components of self meet the natural world, you know, the directions are nature. All right. So that's a very, very simple thing but it's incredibly profound when people actually do it, then they're like, oh yeah, I, wherever I'm at, I know where I am. <laughs> like wherever I'm at, at least I know what direction I'm moving in. I don't, I'm not turning around and around in circles. And as you know, you know, one of the first things they teach you in kind of like survival skills is if you get lost in the woods or somewhere, you know, out in the wilderness and you think you're walking in a straight line, well, you're not. What ends up happening is because one of our legs is stronger than the other, we end up walking in these, this kind of spiral circular pattern. And what ends up happening to most people when they do that, if they've not been trained otherwise, they end up giving up hope and they end up dying. And it's not because they starve to death or because they dehydrate, but literally they give up hope. It becomes meaningful or meaningless. And so a lot of times people that um, do kind of search and rescue and whatnot, they'll find people with full canteens of water, but dead leaning against trees because they lost themselves. They lost their directions. They, they basically started to turn around and around and they didn't realize it. They thought they were walking in a straight line. So this kind of nature principle is actually very much applicable to our modern life. Like how many times do people say that I'm, I'm turning around and around, I'm lost, I don't know where to go. I'm, I'm, you know, and it's like, hold on, take all these teachings from nature and apply them right into your current situation. And you'll actually figure this out. It's actually really easy to figure out once you know some of this. So um, the directional model as a guide is, is a really good one to start with, I think, you know, and then that can un be unpacked in so many different ways. And it's really, really incredible. You know, when you get into, once you know your orientation in space, then you need to figure out your orientation to kind of like your directions of up and down, right? So what I mean by that is 
the upward direction, it always has to do with kind of um, not just uh, up because up is pretty pretty easy to figure out with the, with our sense of gravity. But the direction up is related to who are you and what is your vision in this world? What's your connection to vision? What's your connection to life? In the way of like, what are you what are you here to do? And it's not just meaning because it's beyond meaning. It's more like the deepest spiritual calling of purpose. And and the direction of up has always had that relationship. You know, any religion, any spirituality, it's always like this, this upward direction. And then the downward direction, obviously, is earth. Well, that is the rootedness, you know, your connection to place, your connection to this location, your your really stability of your identity in this in this world that we live in which as we both know you know you have to be very strong you have to have deep roots you have to have the strength of your tr the legs you know to actually stand in your gift and your vision and your power in this world because there's so much that's gonna oppose that um so that's kind of the the six directions you know so we have the four we have the up we have the down and then and then the direction of time and that's where this kind of eighth direction it comes in and it's not really the eighth um but it's the line that makes the eighth direction in that kind of model where it's divided and the direction of time is we have a past right so not only do we need to be orientated in in three dimensions we have to be orientated in time as well so we have a past. Well, what is that? What's that about? And obviously, modern society really does not reinforce that as a priority. Just now it's coming out how important that is, like with the things like epigenetics, like your, you know, your great grandmother's experiences are still living through your physical body. You know, your your body is designed to handle the stresses that she was experiencing. And that's a real thing. That's not, that's not a head thing. That's not something you can think your way out of because it's a physical thing. It's like understanding that is really critical. And like epigenetics say, you know, they, they can basically verify that at least three generations back, the experiences that your, your, um, your ancestors had three generations back is having an impact upon you but they are guessing you know they can't they can't publicly say this or like scientifically say this but they're thinking at least 13 generations back wow. is having enough but who knows 13 generations back what what they were experiencing what was going on then so we have this disconnect of time and when we really start getting into that that past we got to heal unfortunately we have a lot of trauma that has not been dealt with that's in our past and a lot of grief a lot of pain a lot of disconnect because we didn't just get here you know right obviously it didn't happen in our lifetimes that human beings are so disconnected from nature there's a whole history about how we've gotten to this place that involves a lot of tragedy a lot of abuse a lot of you know wrong thinking and wrong actions not just in our our ancestry as like we enacted that though there's that but there's also what was done to us mm -hmm. so we have to enter into a deeply uh committed healing journey to really deal with that and then when that is worked on or being worked on then we can really build a relationship to the future because you can see pretty quickly with a little bit of observation that how you perceive the future 
is being directly impacted by what was experienced in the past, both your own, but also your ancestral past. So what I see this, you know, um, in kind of modern visionary terms, right? In the modern, in the modern world, we have visionaries, we have leaders, we have people that are working on, you know, creating a future really, you know, and they're directing that future through their money, through their resources, through their influence. And a lot of those influences, or I should say a lot of the visions that I hear being talked about is essentially about escaping the earth or escaping the inevitable destruction, right? Escaping, mm -hmm. you know, and I said, where's that coming from? That's not a hopeful, positive, let's fix things. Let's make it right. Let's heal. It's like, this is terrible and we're done, you know, like, it's not going to last. And instead of like looking at it from the point of view of actually making it right, it's how do we get away from it? Mm. And that is a product of unhealed trauma of the past, right? Yep. So when, when you actually heal the past, you can see the, the possibility of very hopeful and, and loving and beautiful and connected futures because that's what it means to actually have a healed past is that not have the traumas being essentially uh, influencing the vision of the future. So that's, that's, you know, that's the next level of, that's when we really get into ceremony, honestly, like nature connection routines, these connection routines, these different things that we can do, this orientation in three dimensions, like that's great, you know, le learning basic survival skills, you know, like how to make fire, how to get water, how to build shelter, how to find food, you know, what's edible, what's medicinal, really, really helpful to know, like how to be on this earth. And it's really important to get there. But when we start moving more into let's the metaphysical or the, the real spiritual, and the real healing, then we start working with time. And time's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But once we get into that zone, it involves a lot of um, kind of mystery and, and um, deep philosophical understanding, but also like really powerful kind of magical application of how to actually heal. Thank you for sharing all that. I had so many images popping into my head as you were talking and I, I can see how time and multi-dimensions play into when you're doing your own healing because having inherited those impacts to our nervous system when we're healing the nervous system now we're changing history right the way it's mm -hmm. impacted us and it will impact our future as well and you know just tracking all the steps right the nature connection at the root then our own experience and then how we go out into the community like so much of it is these spirals and this time and these <laughs> dimensions mm -hmm. And rites of passage, I think, is a way of grounding into the experience and integrating it all. And it yep. involves the witnessing. Yeah. So even if people yep. read about a book, read a book and read about this stuff, it's not integrating. Oh, no, it's, you know, that that's that's like um, it's like a mental uh, or intellectual kind of uh, playing around. You know, it's it's not bad for sure, because it gives you some some framework of understanding perhaps in your mind, which I always say is like the least important thing, you know, based upon my experience. And then of course, based upon the lineage, your mind actually knowing and explaining and being able to understand these things 
is is actually the least important thing. The most important thing is that you have the experience. You actually have the embodied integrated experience. And you're going to know all sorts of things because of that on the intuitive, on the physical, on the emotional level that your mind will take years to actually understand, to grasp. And our default is like, I need to understand it in my mind and then I, I can have the experience. And it's it doesn't really work that way. And unfortunately, when you learn that way, and I think even I've done that quite a bit in my life, is like your your mind has all these expectations built on what it thinks the experience is going to be. And then you go into it and then you're like, wow, that was like nothing I experienced. And I don't even know what happened. Mm -hmm. Well, you this doesn't know what happened. The rest of you does. Your mind eventually will understand. It's a really interesting thing for sure. So, you know, the experience and this is you know where ceremony this is where kind of these events this is where you know going to the art of mentoring or something like that you know going into that is so critical because the the change that you're actually seeking and that you're looking for is as we say subcognitive it's outside of the thinking mind and that's where the real change happens and then over time like i said your mind will slowly come to understand this new framework of reality, this new framework of understanding. And when that happens, it's a very beautiful thing, but it is the, the last thing that actually takes place, you know, in the integration process. And I truly believe that the reason therapy is becoming outdated is because we're not using the somatic experience. We're not tapping into the nervous system. And so more and more practitioners and therapists are getting trained in somatic experiencing and nervous system regulation now. And I think the reason we haven't seen these leaps and bounds with people outside of these kind of containers is because the body wasn't included. Yeah. And just as you say, like when you move the body through these experiences, the brain follows and, yeah. you know, we're, we're animals first. When you mm -hmm. work with the body, the brain follows. So if we're you know, keeping our bodies at a desk all day or, you know, inundating it with screens, the body gets dysregulated and then the mind is stressed out. It's not the other way yep. around. And so yep. if people are listening and they're wondering, like, I've been doing all this personal development work, I've been in therapy, I do meditation, um, but you're not integrating these other pieces, that might be the missing link. And it probably is the missing link. Um, and what I'm so excited to share with my community, Sal, is that you are offering this container for people to go through these processes, no matter what stage of their journey they're in. And mm -hmm. it does begin with those um, simple um, components like you expressed. Um, and before I announce your offering, is there anything else that you'd like to share today? Yeah, I think just reinforcing what you said is so important. You know, like in the modern um, kind of uh, healing practices, there's been such a disconnect, you know, the mind body disconnect, you know, you have the, the therapies and the psych psychological, you know, professions and they can't touch you. And then you have the body, the body workers, and they can't talk to you about your, you know, mental health. Right. So even that's an example of like the split, the disconnect, right. And, and bringing these back together and understanding the entwinement and how to work with it is such an important thing and, and understanding which one actually needs to be dealt with first, so to speak, kind of like you said, like if you're where your body goes, your mind follows. If you can heal your nervous system, the brain will actually function so much better 
you know, if it's not constantly in a sympathetic state where you're just on fight or flight or freeze all the time, like you can't think like that, you know, and that's a, that's, again, it's a product of trauma. It's a product of grief. It's a product of post-traumatic stress where the body's it's stuck in that state. So thinking your way out of that is actually not possible believe it or not, right? You know, you can't think your way out of, out of, out of, uh, uh, you know, fight or flight, you know, that's, it, it's not how the nervous system works. So you got to work with the body, work with that aspect of self to get to a place where the mind can actually think in a healthier, more balanced way. So just reinforcing that and totally agreeing with it and uh, uh, appreciating, appreciating that wisdom because that's obviously part of rites of passage. It's part of the ceremony work. It's part of the teachings. Um, and we, we fully, fully embrace that with Helpers Mentoring Society. Well said. And so if you guys feel like what's been, you know, why isn't it working? Nothing's wrong with you. This is mm -hmm. the way the human body works. We need what we need. And if we don't get it, we get stuck in these cycles. We go around and around and around. So, yeah. um, so the Helper's Journey intro course starts at the end of January, 2023, and uh, they're already taking registration. The link uh, to find out more about that will be in the show notes and you can get started right away um, by finding it in the store tab on the Helper's Mentoring Society website. And again, that link will be in the show notes. Sal, this has been so wonderful to review with you and relive. And here again, this work is so important. I'm so grateful that you are following your path of offering this to the world. Thank you. Yeah. Well, likewise, you know, it takes a village, right? So it's, this is it. Yeah, it takes a village. And I'm so excited to be back in touch. Awesome. We'll stay right. in touch. <laughs> stay in touch. And if uh, yeah. this episode touched you, if you know anybody who could benefit from it, please share it send it their way. Thanks so much. Till next time. Okay. Thank you for listening and becoming part of this community. If you love this episode, I invite you to subscribe, share with someone you think would appreciate it or leave a review. This helps me to learn what resonates with you so I can deliver more of what you want and reach more people who can benefit from this content. If you want to reach me, please feel free to reach out on my website www.beccaspirit.com. I would love to hear from you, get any feedback and know what's on your mind. Until next time, take great care.